over this season, Thanksgiving, Christmas, there's going to be a lot of time of remembering, a lot of time of Thanksgiving. And when I get into these moments, I mean, I, I just like anybody else, I love to eat. I love to be around family and I love to give thanks, especially over some good food. Can I get an amen? So, you know, I, I know that, you know, for example, my family, we go to my parents' house and we're going to sit around the table and we're going to talk about the things that we're grateful for. You know, and a couple of things come to my mind. For, for example, I'm, I'm grateful for my family, my wife, Harmony, who has been such a blessing to me um, and helping me grow and becoming a mature uh, man of God. She challenges me every day to be a great husband as I see her example of being a a great wife and a great mother to our children. I'm grateful for her. I'm grateful for my son, Jeremiah, because sometimes he gets on my last nerve. (laughs) But I'm so um, privileged to see his critical thinking skills and to see how he's developing as a young man, to see how he's experiencing the world for the first time. You know, we gave him chocolate for the first time, and it was like, whoa, this is the best thing ever. So grateful for him. So grateful for my daughter, Hope. You know, if you've ever seen her in the hallway, if you say hi, she'll look at you kind of like this. She's trying to figure you out. <laughs> Just so great to see how her personality is developing. When I find myself sitting at a table and thinking about the things I'm grateful for, I think about NCU, I think about you all, each and every one of your faces, and the privilege that I have to be uh, among uh, the chosen few who get to serve you. I'm super grateful for that. I'm grateful for my local church, for my pastor. I'm grateful for a great many things. But the one thing that I'm grateful the most for is God's work of reconciliation. Can you say that with me? Reconciliation. It's a word that's not used in our common vernacular anymore, at least as it relates to spirituality. Unfortunately, it's, it's, mo- I mean, it's mostly used in, in, in a context of marriage, a fact of a marriage that's been broken. Um, we're going to reconcile this marriage. We're going to come back together. But not all of us are married in this room, so it's kind of hard for us to even understand what that means. I mean, in practice, we can understand what it means from the outside looking in, right? But what does it mean from a scriptural point of view? In the next couple of minutes, I'm going to talk about that for just a little bit. And then we're going to go back into worship. It says this in 2 Corinthians 5, 11, uh, and then uh, chapter 6 um, through verse 2. It says this, since then, we know what it is to fear the Lord we try to persuade others. What, what we are is plain to God, and I hope it is also plain to your conscience. We are not trying to commend ourselves to you again, but we are giving you an opportunity to take pride in us so that you can answer those who take pride in what is seen rather than what is in the heart. If we who are out of our mind, as some say, it is for God. If we are in our right mind, it is for you. For Christ's love compels us. 
because we are convinced that one died for all and therefore all died and he died for all that those who live should no longer live for themselves but for him who died for them and was raised again so now so from now on we regard no one from a worldly point of view though we once regarded Christ in this way we do so no longer Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. Can I get an amen to that? If anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. Come on, yeah, yeah, that's a good place to clap right there. The old has been gone, the new is here. All this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation, that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors. Someone say ambassadors. As though God were making his appeal through us, we implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. As God's co-workers, we urge you not to receive God's grace in vain. For he says, in the time of my favor, I heard you. And in the day of salvation, I helped you. I tell you now, it is the time of God's favor. Now is the day of salvation. A couple of observations I want to point out to you pretty quickly here just from this portion of scripture is this. Reconciliation is best understood in this passage as a moment of exchange. A moment of exchange. Exchanging death for life. Exchanging a position of rebellion and animosity for a position of righteousness and right standing with God. Friendship with the creator of the universe. Exchanging my will for God's will. Exchanging my life for his life. The old being gone and the new coming forth. Isn't this a beautiful thing? Uh, Reconciliation is about change. Exchange, excuse me. Exchanging. God saw us where we were and says, I don't want you to stay there. I don't want you to stay there. Despite where you may think where you are, God says, I don't want you to stay there. Come close. Come closer. When I consider reconciliation, I also, this comes to mind because there's this idea of restoring things in an honorable place, restoring things back to honor. And I'm so grateful that the Lord saw fit to see you and you and you and every single person in this room to restore back into an honorable position. After all, this is not something that's just for us. This is something that's for the entire creation. God implemented his his plan as soon as Adam messed up. As soon as creation was slowly starting to adrift away from God's goodness, God's mercy, God's relationship with creation, God says, I need to make this right. I need to make this right. We need to make this right. So we chart this path of reconciliation through Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, through Joseph, through Moses. 
the prophet Elijah, all the kings, nation of Israel, all down to Jesus, really being the turning point. But one thing I'm grateful for is that though it be a turning point, there's still work to be done. God is still reconciling. Reconciliation hasn't stopped by no means. Yes, the pivotal work of the cross has happened. We are free from the law of sin and death. No longer does sin have a hold or a power over you. Someone say amen to that. No longer does the power of sin have a hold over you, but you can be more than the overcomer through the spirit of God that lives in you. That's what the cross has done. Amen. But I'm also grateful because reconciliation not just was a, uh, something for you, but it's something that you get to participate in. Just as is exemplified by the Apostle Paul, he says that we are now ambassadors of what? Of the ministry of reconciliation. What does it mean to be an ambassador? Well, I'm reminded of Ephesians 4 when it says that uh, these gifts, the apostles, uh, the prophets, the pastors, the teachers, the evangelists, all these other gifts. And I would even include those that are in administrative work, those that are uh, believing for gifts of healing. All these gifts that we inhabit in our incredibly diverse uh, body of Christ, all these gifts are used to do what? To build the body of Christ until we all reach the unity of the faith into the knowledge of who God is. My friends, we have work to do. We get to be both the recipient of reconciliation and we get to be the messenger of reconciliation. The second observation is this. God's work of reconciliation is a matter of reverence to the Lord and love-filled compulsion to persuade others about the gospel of Christ. I'm going to say that again. God's work of reconciliation is a matter of reverence to the Lord and a love-filled compulsion to persuade others about the gospel of Christ. In concerning to reverence of the Lord, how do we know this? Well, it says, this, it says it right in the scripture. Since then, we know what it is to fear the Lord. We try to persuade others. Now, I know, I know what some of you are thinking. Well, Jonathan, what does it mean to fear the Lord? Because, and, and quite rightfully so, it's not something that we normally use in a positive aspect. To fear something or to fear someone is not something that's a positive thing. But we got to remember when these when God was first encountering his creation again for the for the first time in a long time for many. They were scared. There was no covering. There was no Jesus at that time. There was no atonement at that time. So literally what I am, the filth that I am, the things that I've done are in no way, shape, uh, should even step into the presence of the God. That is something that's scary. But as we continue to even transliterate that word, um, the, the, the word that's most directly associate, associated with it is being in awe. To be in awe. Now, some of you may not know what that means, but to be in awe, if I can give a, a, a picture, depiction, it, it's, like, it's like seeing the Grand Canyon for the first time. To see something that's so big and so beyond you and in providing perspective of who you are in comparison to this massive thing. 
For me, my first encounter of being in awe was on a cruise ship. Now, I don't know how many of you like water, but it was on a cruise ship. And while we were on, while I was on the cruise ship, I looked to my left and looked to my right and noticed there's not one piece of land near me. And it scared me, man, because I don't know how to swim. It scared me. But at the same time, when it scared me, it also brought me comfort because I knew that my trust was in the Lord. And I knew that if God can, if I can trust God in this uh, situational space where there's literally nothing I could do if this boat were to sink, God, I can trust God with anything. I can trust God with everything. And it provides perspective. Because you see, when I got on land, when I got off the cruise, I still noticed that actually the things that are around me, I really can't control. I'm actually still kind of on the cruise when I'm in this life. I can't control the actions around me. I can control my actions, but even my, the, 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 the things that happen as a result of my actions, I can't control solely. God's reconciliation work is a matter of reverence. When we uh, take reverence, when we consider the awe of God, when we are in awe of God, it provides us with a unique perspective of who we are in comparison to him. And secondly, reverence is a matter of being, having a love-fulfilled compulsion to persuade others. As we co-labor with Christ in the work of reconciliation, we do so with love. We do so with love. Why? Because Scripture tells us that the Lord's kindness draws us to repentance. It's his kindness that draws us to repentance. And not kindness for the sake of just because of who you are, but kindness in the sense of God's wrath was actually toward us, and he chose to exchange that for giving his love to you. He chose to exchange it. That's what, makes, that's what draws us to the repentance that God is asking for. God is is giving us something that we do not deserve. Something that we do not deserve. Christ died a horrible death, an undeserved death, a death that we deserve so that we wouldn't have to deal with the punishment and the results, the iniquity of the sins that we have committed. Such a beautiful thing to be reconciled with God, to be a part of reconciliation, to be a part of this exchange. The scripture ends with this. I tell you, now is the time for God's favor. Now is the day of salvation. God's favor is for you today, but it's also for others. So with these things in mind, as we consider um, reconciliation, as we consider the love-filled um, compulsion we ought to have to telling other people about the gospel, as we consider having a renewed perspective of who God is through uh, reverence and awe of him, let's be ambassadors of his work. And let's do so with reverence for God and for the love that God has for us in loving others. Let's remember the kindness of God and what he's done for us on the cross. We're going to go back into worship for the next 10 minutes or so. And I want to challenge you to do this. If you felt like the love that you have for God has grown callous, I believe that God wants to renew your heart this morning. If you feel like you've lost your awe of God, if you've lost your perspective of who God is, God wants to renew your perspective this morning. He wants to show you, yes, how grand he is, but how personal he is as well. 
For those of you that have lost love, God wants to ignite a passion for people, a passion for mission, a passion for the work. Not just a passion, but a love-compelled passion that goes through the muck, that goes through all the garbage of people's lives and say, hey, I see you, I know you, I love you, and let me show you the truth about who you are and in your identity with Christ. And then for some this morning, you're actually desiring an exchange, a true recon- a reconciliative, a reconciliative moment. Maybe you need to exchange your pride for humility. Maybe you need to exchange your sadness for joy. Maybe you need to exchange, well, I don't know, you fill in the blank. But all of us in here have something. So in the next 10 minutes or so, let's continue to worship. If you want, come down to the altar. If you want to sit where you are, that's perfectly fine. But let's set our mind on these things. Let's set our mind on who God is, what God has done for us, the love that is growing in us to be an ambassador for Christ. Let's take, let's take control and let's, let's consider these things, these moments in this time and in this season of being grateful for what the Lord has done.